how many of you this morning are bottom line people? You like to know the bottom line. You don't like to know, okay, if, if you just make these three easy installments or these are what your payments will be over 15 years or whatever. I just like to, what is, the, what is this going to cost me? Let's stop dancing around. What is this going to cost me? How, how many of you are, are kind of sick in the brain like me? who like negotiating the price of something. You actually enjoy it. How many of you, enjoy, you just enjoy, some of you like, just shoot me in the head now. I hate negotiating. I, for some reason, I love negotiating. I love negotiating at garage sales or antique shops. And that's what my wife did. She goes, you're really good. Barn, go see if you can get it for this much. I'm like, all right, let me try it. I walk over there. I just love negotiating. I love when we go on missions trips because on missions trips, you're allowed to many times in Central America, you can go and you can haggle over the price. And um, I, just, I, I just love doing that. I love when I buy something that someone else has bought and I got a better deal than they did. And they're like, oh, I got that for $5. I say, oh, yeah, I got it for two in your face. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Actually, I'm not teasing. But anyways, um, I know it's a sickness, but it's just, fun. I mean, how many of you have ever bought something and you got what you paid for? You thought maybe you'd, uh, you'd cheap out a little bit and then you got burned. I was thinking of this uh, back in the 90s when the beanie baby hysteria hit. The, some of you are just going, oh man, I got so sucked into that. I got beanie babies up in my attic or in my garage. I got a whole bag of them. Uh, people were, how many remember the Beanie Baby craze? And the, some of you are not going to raise your hand because you're like, I'm so embarrassed I was part of that and I bought stuff. But uh, there is this, for you that don't know, there's these little stuffed animals called Beanie Babies and they all had their little separate names and when they were created, it was kind of like the Cabbage Patch doll back in the 80s that people were actually shooting each other over in the Walmart aisles, you know, it was crazy. And uh, some people with these Beanie Babies that I knew actually bought hundreds of them. And some, for a time, were actually collectible. But the market became so overwhelmed to the point that there was just a glut of Beanie Babies in, uh, in, in, the, wor- in, in, in the United States, and they really weren't worth that much. And I can remember at the late 90s, we're on a missions trip to England, and it was right after Princess Di died, and her, they had a Beanie Baby, it was called, I think, The Princess. It was purple Beanie Baby, and that was really popular at the time. And there's this guy that I was with, one of my youth workers that was on the trip, and he goes, man, I can't find these. I want to get one of these Princess Di Beanie Babies, a princess one. So we were in the shop, and the shop owner goes, hey, I've got one. Now, I don't know if it was a fake or whatever it was, but we had to go in this back room. I'm like, I'm getting a little nervous here. We're going in this back room. It was like this black market for Beanie Babies. I don't know what it was. We go in this back room, and the guy says, I'll sell it to you for 1000 No, I'll sell it to you for 50 bucks. So the, the, the guy was going to say, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. And he goes, you thought he was going to make money off it and blah, blah, blah. So we end up getting back, and just a short time after that, um, you couldn't give Beanie Babies away. I mean, people couldn't, they just weren't worth anything. And the bottom line, for bottom line people, for any of us here, we will all pay a price for something, won't we? We will always pay a price for something. How many of you know that if you don't count the cost for something, 
you'll get robbed in the end. So how much something really costs, so many times, many times we don't ask ourselves that question. And always remember this, there is, there is always a cost and it will always cost you more. If, if you just go into something and you say, you know, this thing, I, I think this is going to be such a great thing, it's always going to cost you more. And, and I know, I, I, I like boats, I like to fish, all of you know that. And, you know, I, there's a thing, I remember my father-in-law, he had pretty good wisdom, and, and he gave me actually his, his fishing boat, which I still have today, and he said, the two greatest days of when you get a boat, the day you buy it, and the day you sell it, you know, there's a, you know, he knew, he counted, the, he, there's a lot of wisdom there. He knew because you think, oh, we'll use it all the time and we'll just have so much fun. And how many of you know when you live on Lake Ontario, you get about two days that are worth going out on the lake. The water yesterday, I was out on the lake yesterday, the water was 63 degrees yesterday, you know. So by the time it warms up in July to 70, you got about three days where you can swim in the water, and then it drops back down to 40, you know, and then the lake turns over, and then it's cold. I mean, you just, it's hard to really enjoy. We think, oh, it's going to be so wonderful, but, but really when we count the cost, there's always a cost to it. You know, my son's getting ready to turn 16 next year. Lord, help us. Let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. Um, And when you turn 16, what do you want to get? Get your driver's license, right? Oh, I just want to get my my driver's license. Then then, then you want to get a car. How many know it's expensive to own a car? Man, by the time you, you add the gas, the maintenance, the insurance, it's not cheap. And any 15-year-old that's getting ready to be 16 never counts the cost. When you sit down and say, do you know how much I pay in insurance a year for both our cars? And Kobe's like, no. And I told him, he's like, really? And, and my insurance is low compared to a lot of other people. He's like, really? really? And you know how much it costs to fill the tank up? With, did you ever notice when we're at BJ's or something, I'm filling up? Do you ever even turn your head for one minute and take off your headphones just to look to see how much I just put in the tank. Did you see that? It was like $800 I just put in the tank for gas. Did you see that? How much? And you're going to pay for that if you're going to. So we never seen, all of a sudden you start adding up the cost. It's not cheap. It's no different with with a house. There's always a cost of something. So what happens when we don't count the cost. And that's what I want to look at today. And I'm going to specifically, obviously, speak to the men day because it's Father's Day. But I want to look at, at, at what the cost is. Paying the price. Sin always has one. So what happens when we don't count the cost? The end result is that we become debtors. That's the end result. When we don't count the cost of something, we will be debtors. We will always be enslaved to something. We think that it's never going to cost us something, but it's interesting how it always does. And the very thing that we thought would bring us freedom has now put us into bondage. And I believe this is a struggle that we all deal with. I really believe this is a struggle that all men deal with. And many times we don't ultimately count the cost. We'll say things like, listen, I'll work harder to provide for my family. Now, how many know that there's a cost that comes with that? Meanwhile, we're spending all this time trying to provide for our family that we don't spend any time with our families. We're providing for them, but we're not spending any time with them. And when we do, we've checked out because our minds are always 
somewhere else. It's a constant battle living between the way God desires us to live and succumbing to the world's desires that we think, if I just do this, if I just do this, if I just get a little more time, this is just a season. And once I get out of this season, I'll be able to do this. How many know that season never comes? It never comes. You, you always think, well, things will get better. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to slow down. I promise, honey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to slow down. I promise. My time's going to slow down now. How many know that never happens? It just doesn't happen. We've got to stop buying the lie that it does. We've got to make the time for it to happen. And some things we just have to push aside, and we've got to find the priority of what's really important. One man, I thought, just put it such a great way. He said this, and he's just being honest, and I appreciate the honesty. He says, I merely found a middle ground somewhere between paganism and obedience to God's standards. And here's the problem. Guess which will eventually win out? Sin. That's going to eventually always win out in, in our life. And I believe one of the main issues with men is accountability. And for many, they do not want anyone telling them how to live or how they should live their lives. You know, our house becomes our castle where we are the king and we do what we want. And words like obedience or submission to Christ comes into the picture. Men have a hard time with that because we want to be in control. And we must count the cost to our decisions and how we are living our lives. And what I want to do is there's a passage in the Old Testament that I want to read for you today that I believe is very, first of all, very disturbing for this reason. What was happening during this time in Israel is they were backsliding against the Lord as they were allowing sin to enter the land and begin to worship foreign gods. They weren't even realizing what they were doing to the point to where they started doing things and changing things that just became false and fake and they didn't even realize it until God had to bring destruction in their life to wake them up. You see, what happens when we don't count the cost is we get very comfortable within our lives, within our sin, and we get, it becomes normal almost until we hear the truth or we hear the truth of God's word and we say, you know what? Man, there's something wrong with my life. I need, a, I need an adjustment in my life. And that's what's so wonderful about God's word and about his truth. It adjusts our life to show us where we're going off the deep end. And the problem, if we're not accountable to each other, if no one is speaking into your life, if you just go to your home and that's your castle and, and you've lived the way you did with your wife and, and your wife's just walking on eggshells and she's so afraid to say anything to you, we become very comfortable and it becomes normal in our life until someone speaks the truth and say, you know, this isn't right. And that person steps back, well, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And meanwhile, there's destruction, there's harm, there's bitterness within that relationship. So I want to read for you a very disturbing passage. And I, I want to I read it to you because I, I hope that it, it wakes some people up to see what can happen if we are not careful. And I want to look deep into this little passage here in the scripture and, and discover someone who didn't count the cost and actually didn't even count the cost, but tried to try to cover it up. I'm going to look at first Kings. Got there in your notes. You can turn your Bibles there to first Kings chapter 14 verses 21 through 28. I'm going to read the passage and then I'll, I'll give you some background to the passage 
after we get done reading it. So let's read 1 Kings 14, 21 through 28. It says, Now Rehoboam, the son of, of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And here in Judah, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed, more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and the ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there was also male cult prostitutes in the land. And they did, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem. He took away all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made and King Rehoboam made in their place shields of of bronze or shields of of brass, something that was no longer gold, and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guards who kept the door to the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard room. Let me give you a little background here. This was a sad time in Israel's history. This was at a point in Israel's history where the country was literally divided into a northern kingdom where they had their own capital and a southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem was their capital. And uh, Rehoboam was the king of Judah. He was the son of Solomon who was the son of David. Now here's what's interesting. Solomon built this beautiful temple unto the Lord and saw great prosperity and fame. And with all the fame and prosperity, this is how Solomon ended up. He allowed that fame and that prosperity to begin to to guide his heart to the things that the Lord didn't desire for him. And 1 Kings 11.4 says exactly what happened. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives. What Solomon did was begin to have all these concubines. When you had many concubines, it showed that you had great wealth and prosperity. It was a sign to the other nations around you how prosperous you were. It said, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his, what? Heart. After other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David, his father. Now, was Solomon completely away from the Lord? No, his heart, the scriptures tell us, were divided. It wasn't wholly true to the Lord. And because of that, because of his divided heart, it allowed him to chase other things that the Lord did not desire him to do. So here's what I want to show you this morning. It wasn't the enemy from within that defeated Solomon, but the enemy within It was the things that were capturing his heart. Solomon's heart was divided and he allowed his many wives to turn him from the Lord and not be wholly devoted to him. And what this did was, 
And, and this is why we see Rehoboam in his reign as king of Judah. It opened the door to pagan worship, which Israel was forbidden to do. And what this did was it set a course for Israel in the years to come. And they would pray, pay a very, very costly price. It would cost them dearly for what they did and how they turned away from the Lord. But it all started with the leadership of Solomon when he allowed his heart to be divided and to allow this pagan worship to come in that came with these foreign wives who were not from Israel but from these other foreign countries. And when they came in to the concubines, they brought their gods with them. And Solomon allowed them to do that to the point to where they were during this time of Rehoboam. And so what was so damaging with the kingship of Rehoboam? Well, here's what was so damaging about his kingship. Rehoboam now allowed the pagan worship to be set up in Judah in blatant rebellion against God. As his father started to do, Rehoboam began to do it, and even more to the point where the Lord said it was more wicked than anyone before him. The very thing that the Israelites were to drive out as they went into the promised land, the very thing that they were to drive out were the very thing that they were worshiping, that they allowed to come back in. So what happened here? Well, Solomon disobeyed God and married foreign wives, which one of them was Rehoboam's mother, Naamah, the Ammonite. She was not of Israel. She was one of these foreign wives that Solomon eventually allowed to come in and Rehoboam followed in his father's footsteps. See, so what's the bottom line? If we're counting the cost here, what's the bottom line with sin and disobedience to God? And what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on verse 27 because some of you may have read this verse and maybe have skipped right over this. Something very significant happened here in verse 27 that I believe epitomizes the spiritual condition of Israel at the time. And it was very interesting. Look at verse 27 again. It's very interesting. It says, So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace the gold ones. Now you're thinking, so what, Pastor? So he took the shields that were gold, and he made bronze ones to represent the same thing, so you could still have the pomp and circumstance, and people would come to the palace. Big deal. What's the big deal there? This is a huge deal. All the gold in the temple was plundered by the Egyptians most likely a payment for peace. Where do you think they first got the gold? That's right. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth's with me. Here, when they, listen. Here, listen. Oh, this is so good. So listen as I spit to the front row. Sorry, guys. Um, Listen. When they were to leave Egypt out out of bondage, what were they to do to the Egyptians? They were to plunder them. They plundered them. They walked out with stuff. And God said it was okay. So when they walked out of Egypt into the promise, they had all this stuff to build the temple that was going to glorify who? God. Not themselves, but God. And what happened when sin came back in, when their hearts turned back to God, the enemy came back in and stole what was rightfully theirs. 
And they allowed it right, in, right underneath their nose. They allowed it to come in. And this is the reason why. Rehoboam, when he came in, because his heart was cold before the Lord, and he wasn't humble before God. Sin just came right back in. And what he did for a peace or a payoff for this king of Egypt, he says, well, go ahead and take our gold so you don't take us over, but we'll let you take the very thing that we took from you. Blinded. Blinded. He didn't even get it. He didn't even understand. Wait a minute. This isn't meant for them. This is meant for God and his glory. And we're allowing the enemy right back in to come and steal the very thing that was to glorify God. Wow, if this doesn't epitomize the condition of Israel at the time. And so what happens here? You see gold Switch to brass or bronze. The real thing for something pseudo. Something to make fake, this fake thing, to make, to look real. And that's exactly what sin will do. Verse 27 says, King Rehoboam made in their place, in their place, the very thing that was to glorify God and his presence among them was the shields of bronze. All the gold in the temple was plundered by the Egyptians as a payment, as a payoff for peace. You see, what Rehoboam didn't realize, there was a much bigger payoff than just switching the gold to bronze. You see, what happens here, the glory that was once there in Israel was now gone to the point to where Rehoboam had now substituted bronze for gold. Bronze to look like gold. Because if you polish it and make it look shiny, it can look like gold, but it's still pseudo. It's still fake. In the end, it's just a metal alloy. It isn't pure. It's, 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 it's mixed. It's not as valuable at gold as gold. And, and you know when you go to the Olympics, the person that comes in third place gets what he gets. He gets a bronze medal. Because you stunk, because you didn't get first. You came in third. No, I'm just teasing. You came in third. You come in second, you get silver. A little more valuable. But if you come in first, you get what? You get the gold medal because you came in first. Pure gold is very valuable. It's a symbol of wealth and power and prosperity. Verse 27 is symbolic of what happened to Israel spiritually. They lost their purity before God and try to substitute it with something fake to make it look like the real thing. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. When it comes to sin, we'll always pay a price. You will always pay a price. And I'll be real honest with you. Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, people wouldn't be doing it. And if someone tells you sin isn't fun, then they're not doing it right. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Before all you start say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Before we get too far into this, let's understand. The Bible says that sin is fun for what? A season or a time. But in the end, it leads to death. It comes to bite us. It comes to pay up. Sin will say to you, oh, I have all the fun. Oh, you're having a great time. Oh, yeah, 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 this is great. And we all say, oh, I can handle it. I'm having a good time. I'm partying. All of a sudden, it comes up and says, okay, now you've got to pay your dues. And then I've got somebody sitting in my office from a life of bad choices 
and they say, Pastor, what do I do? And I'm not there to beat them up. I mean, I can, I, I, they obviously wouldn't be there if they didn't know they made all these bad choices. And I'm like, well, here's what you need to do. You've got to make it right. You've got to confess these things. You've got to repent of these things. That's the only way you can make it right. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord. Thank God you're not dead right now. And so all of a sudden it comes due and we're like, what have you, yeah, you, ever, you ever do that with the, um, when you're out in a restaurant and you get the check and you pay all this food and all of a sudden you get the check, you're like, what is, what? It's all this money. Did we spend all this money? All of a sudden you got to pay. You know, you ever get to you, the food, the food comes, everything looks so good and they've got nice parsley on it and it's all wrapped and it looks nice and they serve everybody. And then you get to the end of the meal, you're all laying back. There's French fries on the ground. <laughs> You know, one of my kids got a French wrap their nose. Look at that. <laughs> you know, and you're like, this didn't look as good. You know, this looks real bad. Half an hour ago, this looked a lot better. I was thinking about that. Just like sin. It looks so good. at the Doesn't it? It looks so good. All of a sudden, when it comes to pay, you're like, this doesn't look so good now. And what's going to happen is you're going to get your full, and you're going to get so sick of it. And it's going to bind you up so much and cause you to become a prisoner of it that you're like, what do I do now? I can't get out. Sin will always come knocking on the door. Time to pay up. Time to pay up. Time to pay up. See, that's exactly what happened to Rehoboam. That's exactly what happened with Rehoboam. See, what is the price we pay with sin? Here's the price. And here's what we can learn from Rehoboam. I'm just going to give you a couple of quick things, and we're going to be done, because that's my Father's gift for you that I'm not going to preach a long time today. And all the men said, Amen. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> give you one, one break here, okay? So let's look at a couple things here. Just real quick, a couple things. First of all, sin always starts with compromise. Always. Sin always starts with a compromise. Rehoboam compromised by allowing pagan worship in Israel. Rehoboam compromised by trying to pay off Egypt with money or a bribe and not depending on the Lord. So here's, here's the thing. We compromise when we cut corners, when we don't do things the right way, when we cheat, fudge the truth. That's where it starts. And I always tell myself... If I have to just, if I'm doing something and I have to justify what I'm doing, I got to really step back and say, what am I really doing here? And it can be in the smallest things. It, so many times we look at the big thing, oh, I'm not doing this, but it's just in the small, you got to grab your heart in the small areas of your life. Am I doing the right thing here? And let God check your heart. Because I know for Israel, they started off strong. But what they began to do is they began to compromise in small areas. It was much easier to compromise in the large areas. Compromise just doesn't happen overnight where you just say, I'm going to do this thing. And then all of a sudden you just do it. It starts in the heart. It starts there. And when we start to make decisions and we start to compromise in little areas, eventually we're going to compromise in larger areas. 
So sin always starts with compromise. The second thing is sin always causes you to lose something. Rehoboam lost the glory that was once in Israel. He tried to recreate it, but it was gone. It was lost. He tried to recreate it by making the bronze shields, by making what was used to be looking good and gold and and God's blessings upon Israel. Now it was lost. It was gone. And he was trying to recreate something that wasn't there. How many of us have tried to recreate something that has already been lost? You can't do it. So we tried to recreate something, but it was lost. You see, sin will do this. It will cause you to always lose something, whether it's a marriage, family, your reputation. And so this is a question I just want to ask you men this morning. What are you polishing up this morning that is actually just fake? Trying to make it look real. Telling yourself, listen, it's not that bad. I can handle it. And we just polish it up and we polish it up. But in the meanwhile, it's just brass. It's not really the real thing. It's really not pure. We're trying to tell ourselves it's okay, but it's not. See, the problem is we can say, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church, you know. But are you just polishing up your sin and justifying it? You know, I mean, listen, I can carry my Bible to church and, hey, how you doing, brother? Got my Bible. King James Version. Amen. Did you see that? King James Version. Actually, this is NIV, but anyways, you know, you know what I'm saying. Okay? Carry your Bible into church and try to look good with your family, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Blew the, honey, where's my Bible? Oh, there. <laughs> okay, I got to go to church. I'm going to make sure the pastor doesn't see all that dust on my Bible. Oh, that would look really bad. <laughs> Coming to church, got our Bibles, looking nice. Everything's all polished up. You actually shaved for once, you know, you shaved, you look good. Um, but you know it's a lie. It's just a facade. It's just brass shields that are made to look like gold. And if we were to scratch a little bit below the surface, or get a little closer to look at those shields. You say, wait a minute. Those shields aren't gold. Those things, I see green around those edges. Did you ever buy one of those rings that made your ring, that made your finger turn green? And you're looking, wait, wait a minute. Those are just, those things are turning green. That that's not gold. You may ask your spouse, am I really authentic or am I just living this fake Christian life? And I'm not here to get on you guys this morning because we all have our faults. What I'm here to tell you this morning, God's looking for authentic relationships. You know, that's the one thing as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, in in having three kids, you know, you live in a glass house and everybody looks at your life and, you know, all the pastors, you've got to blah, 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 you know, never, can't make a mistake, blah, blah. And and believe me, this church is wonderful and you guys show me a lot of grace and grace to my children and I just love this church for that. But I know there's a lot of pastors that leave the ministry because of that, because they just can't keep up with appearances. They just can't keep up with it. It just kills them. And you're a very graceful church, and I love you for that. And thank you for being very graceful to my kids and not putting them up on some pedestal or putting them to some standard that they could never meet. You allow them to make mistakes, 
And I appreciate that. Thank you. And we're by no means a perfect family. We have our flaws, and God is working on us and working on our marriage, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so thank you for that. But here's the deal. You know, are we living one way in church? But then if I were to be a fly in your house, is it another thing? You've got to ask yourself a hard question, guys. Because if, 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 you know, sometimes, I'm just being honest with you. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Don't throw anything at me, okay? Let me just be honest with you. Sometimes you've got to sit down with your kids and just ask them boldly, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure, Dad, ask me a question. Um, my life at church, is it the same at home, or do you see something different in me that needs to change? You know what? You're going to find out the answer in about two seconds. Just ask them. A couple of times I've done that with my kids, and it hurt a little bit. No. Just be brutal. Say, what are some things that I can improve on as a dad? What can I do? Honey, is there things that you see at church or things in my Christian walk that I can improve on? And that's not a bashing session. That's not a nagging session. That's just a being bold and saying, you know what? There are things that maybe I'm not seeing that I'm blind to, that somebody else sees, that I have just blinded myself to. How many know that happens to all of us? We, we've all got blinders that we don't see. There's blind spots when you drive that you don't see. There's been times I'm driving my wife and I'm pulling over and she's, honey, there's a car there. I didn't see it. It was in my blind spot. Not really, but anyways, that's just blind. Oh, it's the blind spot, honey. Didn't see that, you know. Um, we all do it. We all have our blind spots and we need someone else to maybe looking out and saying, you know what, here's something that I see that I'm just going to tell you about. That, and that's good. That's okay. But the problem is when the, no one steps up to the plate and shares honestly with us of maybe things that, that they see that maybe need to... And these are, may not be big, huge things. They just may be little things, you know? And, and we need to work on them. And that's Okay. But ask your family. They're the ones that live with you. They're the ones that see you every day. And listen, guys, I say this all the time. If I showed what you thought about this week up on the screens and what I thought about on the screens this past week, you wouldn't show up to church and I wouldn't either. We'd be embarrassed by some of the things. Let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? We all go through struggles. All of us are not perfect. But here's the thing. We do serve a perfect God. And God's desire for you is to be authentic with him. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the answer? Okay, Pastor, because I don't want to come to church each week and just get beat up and feel guilty. Because that's why a lot of people don't go to church. That's why a lot of men don't go to church. Hey, listen, if I want to feel guilty and beat up and condemned, I'll just play 18 rounds of golf. You know, <laughs> and you come to church and you're a pastor. I just, be, I just play, I feel guilty enough on my bad golf game. I don't need to come to church. So here's the thing. What's the answer? Here's the answer. The scriptures tell us that Rehoboam humbled himself before the Lord and because of that direct action, God did not bring destruction to them. Isn't that interesting? Because of that, God did not bring destruction upon them. So what is... Chronicles tell us here. Chronicles 12, 12 tells us, and he humbled himself and the wrath of the Lord turned away from him. 
So not to make complete destruction, moreover, the conditions were good in Judah. So because he humbled himself, God did not bring destruction upon him. Now, you think, oh, that's good. This story ends on a happy note. Yay, let's all join hands and sing Kumbaya and go home and have a bonfire. Isn't this wonderful, Pastor? But the problem is it didn't, it didn't end there. This story doesn't end on a good note. I hate to tell you that, but it, I wish I could just, you know, end on a good note, but it didn't. You go a couple more verses there and look what it says. Just didn't get it. He did humble himself and God didn't bring complete, complete destruction. But here it is. He says, and he did evil for he did not what? Set his heart to seek the Lord. What was Rehoboam's problem? What was Solomon's problem? It was a divided heart. Some of you come here today and you say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I know there's things in my life I need to get right. I know my heart is divided. I know, you know, I try to talk the talk here in church, but then when I go to work, I listen to all the dirty language and the jokes and I cuss with the guys. And, but man, I know that's wrong because I, I leave and I say, man, I, 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 know, that's, I know that's wrong and I, I don't know. I just know it's wrong. Divided heart. I'm not saying that you don't love Jesus or that you don't want to serve Christ. Divided heart. That's the problem. Your heart is divided. You're not sold out to the Lord. And God says to you this morning, because I want you to be sold out to me. I want you to be authentic. And when you do that, things begin to change. Your spouse begins to see a difference. Your kids begin to see a difference. The guys at work, even though they may hassle you, see a difference. Listen, I know what that's like. I worked at Kodak with the roofers one summer. Yikes. That was just like a cesspool of pagan religion, you know? And when the guys found out that I was going to be a pastor the first day I was on the job, because they said, hey, to be a roofer, you got to do, hey, I'm not even going to tell you what they told me you need to do because I want to keep it PG, but they said, you got to do blah, blah, blah. And they looked at me, do you do those things? I said, no. Oh, and they got right on. Th- and then they asked, well, what are, you, what are you going to school for? I said, I'm going to study to be a minister. Oh, here we got a preacher, everybody. And I'd walk on the roof. There'd be 20 guys on there. Hey, there's the preacher. Come preach to us. Take out your Bible. So I took it out and I beat him over the head with it. No, um, <laughs> never said a word to them for the first two weeks. I just did my job. Never said a word to them. Never let them get to me. And they would try. Oh, man. They tr- and then after a while, they stopped bothering me. And after a while, one guy came up to me, one of the ringleaders said, you know, I'm going through divorce. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. I goes, can you pray for me? I'm like, you're the one that's been, he goes, I know, that's all an act. It's all bronze shields. But when I got underneath that heart, he had a heart that was broken because of years of bad decisions. And he wanted something authentic and something real to turn to. Here's the thing. How do you take those broken things and bad decisions and a divided heart and make them new again? Here, listen. And we're going to finish here and I'm going to pray. And I want to pray for you men because I know some of you are struggling today. And I want to encourage you. Here's how you break that. Rehoboam took the first step by humbling himself before the Lord. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I can't do it without you. I need your help in this situation. But the second step you you have to take here is you've got to realize that you can't straighten your life out by yourself. 
you can't, you can't cover up your sin yourself by trying to do good works or come to church or whatever, whatever we try to do to make it right. Here's what you've got to realize. Jesus Christ took the wrath for you. He took the penalty for you. All your sin, Jesus took on his sinless life. He did it for you. As God's wrath was taken away from Rehoboam because he humbled himself, that is a great symbol of Christ for us. Christ humbled himself before God, becoming a servant for you. By giving his life on the cross for you and I, he humbled himself to the point of death, to the point of allowing your sins to be laid upon his shoulders. And the Bible says that when you put your faith in Christ, God now imputes or places Jesus' perfect life, his righteousness, upon your life. And you are now cleansed. And the next step is saying, okay, God, I understand what you did for me. I've got to trust Christ. I've got to believe that he died for my sins, that he is Lord. And what he did for me, he took upon uh, the wrath that should have been pointed towards me. He took that wrath upon himself because he loved me and he died for me. And he died in my place for all the yucky, cruddy stuff in my life. Jesus died for you. The next step is that's where you walk in God's grace. Where you have an authentic relationship with him that's not based in brass shields but based in purity that you're saying, God, I want to lift you. And that doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake again because you will. But when you do, you have an advocate that you can turn to in Christ Jesus who will sympathize with you in your weakness now. I mean... The other day I was just praying and you ever have one of those times where you're just praying you just have like a blab fest with Jesus where you just start confessing stuff to him and you're just like, Jesus. And it's so funny because have you ever tried to um, word your prayers to the Lord? Like try to make them a little nicer to the Lord. Like, okay, I'm going to word this, Lord. I'm dealing with this, Jesus. I lost my, you know, patience the other day. And Lord, it was because I was just tired and... I had a long day and the people at work were really mean to me and you're trying to, and the Lord's saying, Barton, what are you doing? You lost your patience. Just be honest with me. You blew it. So then you ever praise the Lord, I blew it. I'm such a sinner and just, you know, and then you just, you just pour it all out to the Lord and all of a sudden you feel God's grace come into your life and you feel him covering you. And you see how much he cares and loves you when you humble yourself before him. And then you make the things right that you need to be made right. That's a life of gold. That's a life that God just smiles upon. That says, thank you for being honest with me. I am so sick of religion and playing the part and playing religion and looking religious on the outside. I mean, I love when people come to me and just say, Pastor, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I said, never be embarrassed to come to somebody and confess your sin and to realize that you need help. Never be embarrassed about it. Why are we embarrassed? We're the church of God. I mean, if we, just want a, if we just want a social club, let's lock the doors and do something else. We'll join a civic club for Pete's sake. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the use of church if we can't be honest with each other and just say, I'm battling with this. 
And so when someone comes and they say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. and I just need help and I, I need you to pray for them. I'm like, they go, I'm so embarrassed. I go, why are you embarrassed? I don't know because, I don't know. It's because you know why? We're trying to put up brass shields. That's why. It ain't working. It'll never work until you get rid of them. So I'm going to pray for you men today. That God, if you're here, that God would just allow you to lay those brass shields down and begin to realize that, Lord, you want a heart of gold, and the only way I can do that is by bowing my heart before you, Jesus. Man, some of you here today, when I said sin's coming knocking at your door and they want you to pay up, you're saying, oh, my goodness, how does that man know my life? I don't know your life, but guess who does? Jesus knows your life, and the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. That's why you're feeling it. You don't get mad at me. It's not me. You, you can get mad at me all you want. I'm just a messenger. I'm just telling you what the Lord placed on my heart, and God's knocking on your heart today. He's saying, I want you to lay that brass shield down. Amen. Amen. So I want to pray for you this morning. And uh, I want the Lord to touch you and touch you in a way that, that says, God, I just want to be real and authentic with you today. And allow the Lord to speak to the areas of your life where you know just are not true. They're not authentic. And I'm in the same boat with you. I need to ask myself those same questions so that we can live those authentic lives that Christ desires us to live. Amen? Guys, we need to be accountable to each other. That doesn't mean you tell all your problems to every single person. No, that means you get together with another spiritual man that you can pray with each other, that you can grow in your walk with the Lord so you don't feel like you're all alone in your problems. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for every man here today. Lord, I'm with them. I know the struggles. I know the temptations that are out there, and it's so easy to, to succumb to those things. But Lord, what is it in our life that we're polishing up that is just brass? What are the things that we need to lay down? What are the things that the enemy has plundered in our lives that has stolen and robbed us? And that's what sin does. It robs us. It steals from us, Lord. God, I pray that we would lay those things down. That today we would make a decision to say, today is the day, on Father's Day, good day, to make some changes in my life, Lord. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would do that. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not here to embarrass you, but I just, I, I want, I just, I want to look you men in the eye and just say, Pastor, I'm with you. I, I am with you. I want, for you men that are just like, Pastor, I am with you. There are things in my life that I need just to make right, and I got to, I'm polishing some brass, and it ain't working, and I need to be authentic in my life. How many of you men, by the raised hand, would you say, Pastor, Pray for me. That's me. Amen. Thank you, man. I know that's bold for you to do that. Amen. I'm not going to call you out. That's between you and the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in every heart here today. Lord, help us just to be authentic with you. 
pour out our hearts to you, God. And with that comes healing. Lord, with that comes forgiveness. And so, Lord, you don't want to leave us in that state of unforgiveness or guilt, but you want to take us out of that. So we thank you for the freedom that we find in Christ and what he's done for us. In Christ and Christ alone will we find our freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand and work. Just listen to the word. Love the song. Let God speak to you today. Amen. Let's sing it unto him. Amen. Praise God. Here at your feet I'll always be
that's what I'm going to do. I just, when the Holy Spirit drops something in my lap, I got to do it. I just want you men to come forward. And I want to pray for you. I don't know, I, you may be a visitor, I don't care. You're thinking, this guy's nuts, but I don't care. I just want you to, every man, boy, I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray for you today. And just believe God's going to do a great. I don't know what your situations are today. I don't know what you're going through. But let's pray. And ask God just to touch you as husbands, as, as young men, as, as fathers. That God would just do a great. Look at this. Isn't this great? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. God is good. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for these men. Lord, I know we all struggle and we fail at times, but Lord, we thank you that we've got a Savior in Jesus that we can look to. That who can sympathize with us in all our, our weaknesses and our struggles, Lord. And, and God, I pray that this body of men would realize that they're never alone in their struggle. That when we begin to talk to each other, we realize, hey, I struggle with the same thing. And doors begin to open up and healing begins to occur and lives begin to change and relationships begin to change because of you, Jesus. So Lord, I just pray for every single one of these men, young men, Lord, that God, you would speak to their hearts. That God, they would be open to you, Jesus, and open to your Holy Spirit as they humble themselves before you. Lord, I pray for their, their wives, that they would be supportive of their husbands and lift them up and encourage them and pray for them. Lord, they would be honest before their children in the areas that they need to change, God. And Lord, I know that you can do that. So Lord, I just give them to you now. I lay them at your feet, Lord. God, as we stand before you, thank you, Jesus, that we have a perfect example to look to, to run to, to humble ourselves before. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Jesus, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that we can confess our sins to you and you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and pour your grace out upon us. So Lord, I just dedicate these men to you now. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. And I just want to hear the men say amen. amen. Woo, that, that, that gets me fired up, man. That's good stuff. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. God is good. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Amen. God is good. Have a great day, guys. Enjoy your Father's Day. Amen.